my fish was, I had a female beta fish when my brother had a male one. Although I would like to say that Ruby outlived all of Chris's fish. <laughs> and <laughs> Pour one out for Ruby. <laughs> Ruby was my red beta fish, and I got her at the same time that my brother got his fish, Little Bill. <laughs> Well, because he... Your animals have the funniest names. <laughs> well, when I was like a baby, my brother had a fish named Bill that I think did not live that long. So when he got a sec, when he got a new fish, he was like, this is Little Bill. And we got Little Bill and Ruby at the same time. And Little Bill died like within days. So oh. he got, he went back to the pet store and he got another fish that looked exactly like Little Bill and he named it Little, Little Bill, Bill too. too. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it died in like a week. Ruby's still going strong. Uh <laughs> And then he got another fish that looked just like Little Bill and Little Bill too, except it was bigger. So he called it Big Bill. <laughs> Maybe the name Bill was what was killing them. Maybe. But Bill lived longer, like much longer, than, but Ruby still outlived them all. Although my brother will say that um, Big Bill went through more because they're... <laughs> <laughs> He survived trauma. That was maybe once, maybe twice. Oh my gosh. We had him in the car with us taking him on a trip and he fell on the floor. What? We scooped him up. Fish go through a lot. Fish have a lot of trauma. Um, (laughs) They have the tiniest brains. They do. And they don't know what's going on. Welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. And we're in our living room. We are. I need to think of something better to say than just telling people where we are. (laughs) (laughs) They don't care about our location. Sitting at our coffee table. We're not there when the episode comes out or somewhere else. We We could be at our living room table when the episode comes out. We don't really sit here otherwise. No, we really don't. Sometimes I eat here. Sometimes. Yeah, I usually sit on the couch. Yeah, I sit. I yeah, I normally sit on the couch to eat my meals, which is terrible, but whatever. <laughs> it's fine. It's comfy there. I love it there. I had both my meals yesterday in the recliner chair. So, do you think like I don't know? I feel like when someday if I get married and have kids, I want to like have dinner around a table because I like that like ritual. Right. But before you have kids, do you and your significant other like? Are you couch eating? Are you at a table to get in the habit? <laughs> That's a good question. I feel like I feel like it depends like on what your schedules are like. like yeah. You know, technically like your your spouse is just like a roommate and the three of us <laughs> never eat meals at the same time. No. But I guess if you're like a couple and you're preparing meals together, I don't know. Maybe maybe real adults they're just like us. <laughs> Young adults. <laughs> real adults. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow. Jane and I were arguing about this. Please respond to this poll. Do you think 24 is mid-20s? I, I mean, I guess I didn't really think about it, but I just, when I turned 24, I didn't think, wow, now I'm in my mid-20s. I still feel like I'm in my early 20s. You're in your mid-20s. It's the first thing Philippa said to me. She was like, you're in your mid-20s now. Boo. It's not the first thing she said to no, me. No, I feel like mid-20s is like 25, 26. But 24 is also in the middle of your 20s. It's not early anymore. You're four years in. Let me maintain this delusion. <laughs> Do you think in fourth grade you still were like, I guess that's not a good example. Like, I'm in my early school years. I'd well, say, you weren't in middle school yet. Right, but elementary school is so much longer than middle school. 
I feel like since I've turned 21, I feel exactly the same. So I need to like think of stuff that's like proves that I'm more mature than I was when I was 21. Mm-hmm. And I have things that yeah. I like. I definitely in the last year, I'm like, wow, I'm so much more of an adult now because I do X, Y, Z. Like I wash my sheets every two weeks and I'm like, now you're an adult, right? Um, so I'm like, okay, if I say that I'm 24 and I'm in my mid 20s, then I can be like, I'm an adult. I can handle this because I still have that little bit of a like, I can't handle this panic feeling sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I'm yeah. not an adult. Yeah, no. I feel that all the time. I'm God knows like, what I'll I need do. A when real I... adult. Yeah, God knows what I'll do when I turn 25. <laughs> That's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just stay here. We'll stay here forever. <laughs> all right. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm kind of tired. Um, we were at a friend's party last night, which was very fun. Yeah. But we got we home late. Queens. And <laughs> I've just not been sleeping responsible hours the past couple of days. So I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, you need to be a responsible sleeper now that you're working with children. I know. What's well, hard because that job starts later in the day. But this upcoming week, I'm going to be getting up early for various things. So yeah, it'll be more normal. Yeah. I'm sorry that you're tired. No, it's fine. I feel like that's part of being an adult. (laughs) How are you, Sarah? (laughs) You're just tired all the time. I'm good. I'm really, really good. I can't believe I haven't even been back from vacation for a week yet. It feels like it's been eons. And yet, like... Oh, I feel like I just got back from Maine. Like, last night, we saw a bunch of friends, and they were like, how long have you been back? And I realized, oh, two weeks. And they're like, oh, why haven't you been around? I was like, oh, well, I... You've been really busy. I feel like I just got back the other day. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, like, I still haven't unpacked yet. Or I've I've unpacked and I've just finished doing all my laundry from vacation, so now I have to put it mm-hmm. away. Like, I still haven't fully settled from vacation because I came back and I kind of dove right into work. Um, so it, it definitely doesn't feel like it's been – it doesn't, doesn't feel like it hasn't even been a week yet because it feels like it's been so long because so much has happened mm-hmm. since – getting back but that's I think that's just how it is when you live in New York like so much stuff happens all really close together mm-hmm. and you're just like like when you got back from Maine you did a bunch of stuff right away yeah I did um but it's also weird because it was weird for me that I went on vacation just as you were coming back because coming back from vacation it made me feel like I was the one that was away all summer and not you yeah because <laughs> you had been home for like seven eight days without me being here um, and like resettled and I missed you resettling. So then I felt like I was the unsettled one. <laughs> I was like, wait, where's all my stuff? Like, where does all this stuff go? Um, so that was pretty funny and pretty weird, but I am happy. I am happy to be back and I'm excited to start up work. It's crazy that it's already the 8th of September. I know. September's flying by. I need to find my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Jane, a psychic told Jane that she would meet her significant other of three years in September. So we're looking out for some Sagittariuses. Yeah, they said that he'd be a Sagittarius. Yeah, so if you're a Sagittarius and you're interested in Jane, please email us. <laughs> <laughs> because this could lead to a three-year relationship for you. Yeah, even though we will ultimately decide we're better as friends. That's still a beautiful it's relationship. It's still a beautiful... Th- I think those relationships are still, like, worth having. Absolutely. If it ends in a way that meant something to both people. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, should, All we, right. <laughs> should we get started? Let's dive on into Twin Town. All right. <laughs> Couple facts about twins before we get into the supernatural side of things. Okay. One out of every 30 babies born in the United States is a twin. Oh. Which I wonder if that means like two out of every 30. Right. <laughs> 
Right, wait, one of the a... other 30 must be your twin, right? Well, I guess they can't say one. Or is it one out of 31 babies? <laughs> yeah, I guess they can't say two out of 30 because that means one out of 15. So that, yeah, but that I love would... simplifying fractions. Yeah, I, I think it's that, like, I think what the statistic is, is like every 30 babies, uh, I, you'll get an extra. <laughs> There's one. There's Buy one, one, get one free. set of twins in every thirty pregnancies. How about that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's That's say fair. Ninety percent that. of births with multiples are twins. It's much less common Likely to, to be have triplets or quadruplets or octuplets. <laughs> Do you remember that movie Quince? No. It was a really good decom. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Kimberly J. Brown from Halloween Town. Great film. At a professional development we were at, we had to... (laughs) We were talking about what type of leader we are, and we had to write down three things that we are super knowledgeable about, and it could be anything. And Jane kind of looked at me and wrote down DCOMs and was like, is this okay? I didn't know if they were going to review it or make us say it out loud. No, it was not great. Or if it was going to be like a follow-up question is, now how can you apply this to your job? DCOMs absolutely applies to childcare. You're right, you're right, you're right. According to betterhealth.gov, there are a couple factors that increase the odds of having twins. If you're an older mother, women in their 30s and 40s have higher levels of the sex hormone oestrogen. Estrogen with an O at the beginning. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Than younger women, which means that their ovaries are stimulated to produce more than one egg at a time. Okay. So I think a lot of this, my brain was like, I bet that's just because, like, in order for us to reproduce more efficiently. Like yeah. when we get older and our time to have children is drawing to an end, they're like, all right, give them all you got. Yeah. <laughs> and with everything you got. It means I get more desperate for a boyfriend. Like, all right, hit him with all you got. <laughs> if you have had previous pregnancies, you are um, more likely to have multiples. Uh, the greater number of pregnancies a woman has already had, the higher her odds of conceiving twins are. I kept thinking about haunting of Hill House in this and how the youngest oh, are twins. That's super true. So heredity also increases a woman's likelihood. <laughs> You're gonna talk about twins. the horror movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen that movie. A woman is more likely to conceive fraternal twins if she is a fraternal twin, has already had fraternal twins, or has siblings who are fraternal twins. Race is also a factor when it comes to likelihood of having twins. Really? Yes. Um, black African women have the highest incidence of twins, and Asian women have the lowest. That's so interesting. I wonder why. I don't know. Uh, something that increases your chances of having twins are assisted reproductive techniques. Um, oh, like IVF yeah. or yeah. Um, many procedures rely on stimulating the ovaries with fertility drugs to produce eggs, and often several eggs are released during ovulation. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Which is why you hear about like women who get IVF having multiples so often. Yeah. Or like how John and Kate plus eight <laughs> was um, both of their. She was only pregnant twice and she had eight children. Doesn't yeah. that sound awful? Yeah. Um, well, like, on one hand, it sounds awful. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, yes, that pregnancy would be absolutely terrible. But yeah. you only have to go through labor twice. Oh, yeah. 
And you get all these kids. Like, I want four (laughs) kids. You get all these kids. Like, I want four kids. And yeah, if I got pregnant with quadruplets, like, that probably would be really painful. And that would be a hard pregnancy. But then I'd have all four of my kids, right? (laughs) I'd be like, great, check, done. You want them all at once? I feel like you'd... It would be really hard to have four babies. I mean, we've all done the 100 baby challenge on The Sims. Have we all? We know how hard... Oh, well, like I feel like they're so cute with their babies, and I'd want to like spread them out. Spread, yeah. yeah, so yeah. I can have more baby time. Anyway, more baby time. <laughs> Identical twins mm-hmm. or monozygotic twins. Oh, they represent one in three sets of twins. Mm. And identical twins occur when one fertilized egg from one egg and one mm-hmm. sperm divides in two, while it is still a tiny collection of cells. Because they come from the same fertilized egg, that's why they share all of the same genetic yes. information, and yes. that's why they're identical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, fun fact, all of this is fun facts, um, <laughs> the biological mechanism that prompts the single fertilized egg to split mm-hmm. is a scientific mystery. Like, we don't know <gasps> what causes that. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Also, Watch they found out that it's just like women wanting it really bad. Like, Give me identical twins. <laughs> Egg splits. <laughs> Another fun fact is one in four identical twins are rather than exact copies of each other, they're mirror images of each other. <gasps> oh my gosh, it took me a minute to get that. That's crazy. Like their left side is identical. Yeah. To the right and vice versa. That'd be creepy to me because I I feel like I'd spend a lot of time just like touching hands and like yeah that would looking be really in a creepy. mirror and being like that's my sister that is really creepy okay so fraternal or dizygotic twins okay again just being pretentious giving you the scientific term uh, represent the other two thirds of twins and that happens when separate eggs are fertilized by two separate sperm uh huh. And these babies will be are no more likely to look alike than siblings born at separate times. Okay. So, so it's just like you have another sibling, but they were born at the same time as you. Yeah. Um, okay. Is it possible for two separate men? <laughs> I think I know where you're going. <laughs> Is, okay. Is it possible if a woman has sex back to back with two different men? Is it possible for both of those to lead to a fertilized egg in which she is pregnant with two babies from two separate people? I don't, I, I'm assuming the answer is uh, no. Oh, I was assuming the answer is yes, but I think it's just very unlikely. I'm gonna. Like, Neil Patrick Harris is twins. They both have different fathers. But they were, the surrogate was pregnant. Yes, but like they... I, see, I think it's probably less likely to happen within a woman's body, but it was that they used the same eggs and then they they used both father's sperm to like try and see if they could create one fertilized egg, thinking that like maybe one would take and then they both took. It is possible. It is biologically yeah. possible. It's called heteropaternal super super fecundation. Super fecundation. <laughs> super fecundation. <laughs> Stop, I don't want to mark this as explicit. I, I know, I'm, so, to... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. But I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. Super, super. Can I see how it's spelled? Fecundation. 
super fecundation. Super fecundation. That's probably wrong. Super fecundation. Super F E C U N D A T I O N. Okay. Okay. So now we know it's now we know it's possible. Also, I feel like I've heard of stories where women who are pregnant with one child, like a couple months into that pregnancy, get pregnant with another child. Oh. I've heard of that happening. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's really scary. I thought it was like you were fine once you were pregnant. I guess your body still ovulates somehow or in some cases. That would be absolutely terrible. Wait, hold on. How does your body know? How does your body know when it's time to give birth to the one, like, that you don't get rid of the other? (laughs) I think there are ways of stopping that medically. This is crazy. Okay, we're talking a lot about twin births and not a lot about twin telepathy. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're going, but oh my gosh. Okay, so the belief of twin telepathy Mm -hmm. has gone back for over a century. Really? And probably farther back. But okay, there's an example from 1844 that shows that like, we've thought about this for a while. And probably even farther back. I'm sure like as long as twins have existed, there's been some superstitious belief about them. Yeah, I know a lot of cultural... Superstitious beliefs, superstitious yeah. beliefs about twins. In 1844, Alexandre Dumas. Oh. <laughs> A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-E. Of the Count of Monte Cristo? Maybe. He's an author. Yeah, Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, yeah. And the Three Musketeers. Wow. We know the Three Musketeers. <laughs> we know them personally. <laughs> we met them. <laughs> he wrote his novella, The Corsican Brothers, which tells the story of two once conjoined brothers who were separated at birth. And then as adults, they share not only thoughts, but physical sensations. You know, he does have a twin thing because Man in the Iron Mask is also about twins. Did he write that story too? It's, it's based off of a Three Musketeers story. Oh, wow. He does have a twin thing. Does he have a twin? Oh my god, that's the theory. Conspiracy theory. X-Files music plays. (laughs) And the twin's like, I wrote everything. Alexandre stole it all. (laughs) Oh my god, that would be crazy. I would be into that. (laughs) So one twin in the novel describes, however far apart we are now, we still have one in the same body. So that whatever impression, physical or mental, one of us perceives has its after effect on the other. That's like a sweet thought. Yeah, so that's 1844. That's like one of an earlier written example we have of the idea of twin telepathy. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of other superstitions about twins. Apparently, in a lot of places, um, twin cow babies are considered like bad omens. So if you have really? a cow and it gives birth to twins, you sell them immediately. You get them off your farm. Interesting. Yeah. Centuries ago in West Africa, which geographically is where women bear twins at a rate Four times higher than the rest of the world. Whoa. Yeah. What's going on there? Um, among the Yoruba people of Nigeria, the arrival of twins is cause for, was cause for alarm. Practices have changed. Um, sometimes the mother and babies were banished from their village or even put to death. Although modern day twins are revered. So someone along the way was like, okay, stop Stop that. doing that. <laughs> Not a good idea. In 1961, Folklorist, which I didn't know that was a job. I want that job. <laughs> yeah, you'd be good at that job. Two folklorists, E and M.A. Radford, um, wrote a book together called The Encyclopedia of Superstitions. And they wrote, It is a very common belief that twins, especially identical twins, are united by a strong bond of sympathy that each knows when danger or misfortune threatens the other, even when they are separated. 
In the same mysterious way, any special state of happiness in one of the pair is reflected in the feelings of the other. It is often said that if one twin dies, the other will not live long thereafter. Oh, spooky. Spooky, spooky, spooky. And then it gets in, we get into some evidence of if that's true, if twins die at the same time. I also know that twins, I'm reading a book right now about... Um, Malaysia and China in the 1930s and they talk about in that book that um, twins and I think they say in Chinese culture because even though they're in Malaysia the main characters have they talk about their Chinese names and they talk about their or their they talk about their Mandarin names and then they talk about their Cantonese names Mm -hmm. but it's like a thread in the book that there are that there's like a set of twins and they are named after two Confucian virtues. And then there's another set of step siblings and there'll be other two Confucian virtues. Oh. So, you know, kind of from the beginning, you're like, okay, who's the fifth virtue? But the the one set of twins that are like true twins, like born to the same parent, um, talk about how like they were considered good luck when they were children. And then the mm-hmm. other, there's like two storylines that like the book follows through. And then the other storyline is this girl who has a stepbrother who was born on the exact same day as her. And their parents were considered a good match because when they got married they'd be like you'd have two children who would be almost like twins Aww. which is interesting and then like twin telepathy is like a part of the book which I didn't know when I asked you to talk about this and then I read further into the book and I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about twins dying at the same time oh oops <laughs> um, uh, basically there are a lot of stories of older twins dying mm-hmm. at the same time like there's uh, one story uh, in 2017 97 year old twin sisters Martha Williams and Jean Haley died outside their Rhode Island home after they both appeared to have tripped and fallen in the cold, dying from exposure. (gasps) I know, sad. They were 97, though. So they lived long lives. I miss that they were 97. Don't say that. They were like little children. Whoa, okay. Wow. No, they're 97. Three years earlier, in 2014, identical twins Helen May Cook and Clara May Mitchell, ooh, same middle name, um, aged 83, died within a day of each other, although the circumstances were very different. One had a heart attack and the other lost a long struggle with Alzheimer's. Again, they were 83. Scientists are quick to point out that all of these stories we're hearing about twins dying close to the same time or near the same time, or some of them are like months apart, but like all of these examples are, are old people. Yeah. And you hear practically no stories about twins dying when they're yeah. young at the yeah. same time. And they think that's just more of an example of they're old. And it's actually more common for twins to die separately than at the same time. Okay. So keep that in mind. I mean, I feel like it's more common for any two people to die separately than at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true, 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 true. But these same skeptics are quick to point out that a majority of the evidence for twin telepathy is not scientific. Okay. But anecdotal. There's no scientific proof. For twin telepathy. Okay. However, some of the stories people tell are crazy. Kind of crazy and indisputable. So, since all the evidence is anecdotal, let's get into some anecdotes. I love anecdotes. Now, I'm getting these from the BuzzFeed article. 19 twin telepathy stories that'll make you scream, oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, BuzzFeed. Thanks, BuzzFeed. You said BuzzFeed. It sounded like you said BuzzFeed. That's my website about buses. (laughs) BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed. I tell you where the buses are. That should be an app for like New York City buses. There is an app. It's called My My MTA. I know that, but no, no, no. There's one specifically for buses. Oh, really? Yes. Why is it not called BuzzFeed? (laughs) Okay, so. 
But here is one story that creeps me out. Once in the shower while shaving, I managed to nick the inside. You're heel. reading this from the perspective yes. of the twin. Okay. Jay, <laughs> like, what does this have to do with you? Yes. It wouldn't stop bleeding. So I bandaged it up, but it wouldn't stop bleeding. Later on, I noticed my twin sister had a bandage on the same spot as mine. After a couple days, why didn't she just ask her right away? I asked her why her cut hadn't healed yet. What? What are you doing? I'd be like, what happened? <laughs> anyway, rude sisters. Um, <laughs> People get hurt a lot, Jane. <laughs> That's when I learned it wasn't a shaving accident, but her first tattoo. My sister had gotten tattooed in the same spot at the same time when I cut myself. That's crazy. Why wouldn't you tell your twin sister you got a tattoo? Maybe oh. she was worried that they would tell her parents. Her parents. Their parents. Yeah. It, I do think of when Sarah J, my friend from college, our friend, um, <laughs> she was my roommate. I don't know how much you knew. Your friends. We're all friends. No, no, <laughs> it's fine. We love you, Sarah J. She got a tattoo on her ankle and it <laughs> bled so much. And it was, I saw it because I like met them somewhere so Jane and I could go somewhere together. And um, they had a clear wrapping on it, uh, but it was, it's a, it was, it's a tattoo of Lisa Simpson. And it was so bloody that it looked like Lisa Simpson, like, but after she committed a murder, like, she was just like a red a Lisa covered Simpson in Ketchup packet. Yeah, like, it's like it was gross. so red. It was so gross. I've never had a tattoo bleed that much. I've never gotten one in an area I, yeah. like that, but yeah. Okay, back to is twin telepathy thing. more common in identical twins than in fraternal twins? I think so. Yeah. I don't know for sure though. I we have one for I think I said this on the podcast last week. Yeah. Our friend Becca from college told me the story of Essentially, just her, something bad happened to her twin sister, and she felt really sad. And that's happened to her a bunch of times. Like, oh, there will be a lot of times where she'll feel really sad, and then she'll call her twin sister, and she'll be like, well, this bad thing happened to me today. Oh. And, like, the two of them just know when the other one is sad. Yeah. Which is like, Ugh. Spooky, spooky. There's a lot of stories of twins having the same dream. Oh. Waking up in the morning and telling details of their dream to the twin, and it's exactly the same. Uh, this story is creepy. I'm a fraternal twin <laughs> and we definitely have some twin magic going on. One time she left school to get a blood test, but I had to stay in class. A bit later, I realized that I had a broken blood vessel on the inside of my elbow, but I didn't think much of it at the time. When we saw each other later, I realized it was, it was the exact same spot where she had gotten her blood test. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> that is really creepy. Uh, this is another story. After my twin brother went out with friends, I became very nervous, tossing and turning on my couch with nightmares. I saw flashes of light like a cop car and sirens. My mother rushed out of the house after receiving a phone call and brought my brother, my brother back, who was in shock and non-responsive. The next day, we just hugged and cried when he told me that a white car had chased him and his friends through the breezeway trying to run them over. <gasps> That's so scary. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask if there are any stories of like the twin knowing the other one was in danger. I feel like Criminal Minds has definitely had an episode that it's like they bring in a twin to help find their other twin. Yeah, here's one story that's like that. Um, two twins, and then one of them is, is cooking with a very large knife, and there's an accident, and they get a very large gash in their leg. <gasps> and apparently, the twin sister for like months before then was like, "I just feel like something bad like is gonna happen." Yeah. And then year, like to this day, will still be like, I knew that 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 was going to happen that day, which is like, okay, you can say that. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's a different story, which immediately, like, I can't tell if it's BuzzFeed itself or someone was like, here's what skeptics are saying. But okay, the story is just 
that one twin was going out of the house and she just had a really bad feeling about her twin who she knew was upstairs in the bathroom. So she ran upstairs and saw that her twin sister had had a seizure and had like slipped under the water and was like lying under the water unconscious. So she pulled her out and gave her CPR and saved her life. Oh my God. Which people were like, okay, well if you knew your sister was taking a bath and had epilepsy, you like, isn't it shock me that you were like, I should check on her. Like, Maybe she just knew, okay? Maybe yeah. we can just believe in fun things. Also, like, I don't I don't have a twin, but I definitely get bad feelings about things. Like yeah. that I'm like like I know every time that I've like seriously made a mistake or like something serious has happened to me, I've known it before I like knew it. Like when my phone got stolen, I could feel that something was wrong before I knew the phone was gone. Like before I even realized the phone wasn't on my person. Um, and that happened to me when I when my wallet got stolen in mm. Florence. Like I I also I I understand that the like feeling of like oh something is off. I, f- I think we do have senses about these things. This is crazy. I just uh, ooh, okay okay. Here's the story. It's like two sentences long, but I'm a fraternal twin. I'm a boy. He's a girl. Parentheses. When I was younger, my brother had poor speech and didn't talk very often. So whenever he wanted something, he would just look at me without saying anything. And I would translate to my parents what he meant, what he wanted. <gasps> That's so crazy. How do you know? That's so crazy. Yeah, that I feel like has come up in books before, but I've never heard about that happening to someone in real life. That's crazy. Oh, my mother and my aunt are twins. And one time my mom was in the shower and she started having chest pains. Minutes later, she got a call that my aunt was in the hospital with severe heart problems and was about to die. My mom said she literally felt the life going out of her. (gasps) And then there's another one in here that's like one twin broke their collarbone and the other twin was at home going like, this hurts. My collarbone really hurts. I don't know why. Oh. And there's a lot of stories like that. That's like a terrible place. Like, I'm so afraid of breaking my collarbone. How would that happen, though? You get hit with something here. Well, I'm just going to avoid that. Get in a car accident. Collarbone could be shattered. Sophomore year of high school, my twin sister and I were in different classes. I turned to my friend sitting next to me and I said, I think my sister isn't okay. He assured me that she was fine, but I didn't believe it. I knew my sister was sending a signal that something was wrong. I got a bathroom pass and I went to her classroom to check on her. But when I looked through the window, she wasn't in there. Her teacher told me that my sister had fainted. It was in the nurse's office. (gasps) I had a fraternal twin sister. When I was really young, I had this reoccurring dream of being strangled by a snake in the middle of the night. I never mentioned it to anyone, though. My sister recently told me that when she was younger, she would have a reoccurring nightmare of waking up in the middle of the night to find that I had been strangled by a snake. Whoa. Stay away from snakes. Stay away if you're a twin. Stay Stay away away from from snakes. snakes. Okay, this is the last story from BuzzFeed. Um, my grandma had an identical twin sister. When they got married, they moved to two separate cities. When one was sick, the other was two. They would buy clothes from different shops in different cities, but somehow get the same thing all the time. Now they are both widowed and live together, embracing their twinness by dressing the same almost every single day. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. When I was little, I wanted a twin so badly. I know. I always think about having twin daughters. Like, I have a pair of names set up for if I have twin daughters. It's Beatrice and, and Hero. And Hero, From Much right? Ado, yeah. which is such dark. No, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, no, I always wanted to be a twin. I, like, didn't want a sibling. I wanted to be a twin. Yeah. I wanted so sisters because cool. I had brothers. I was like, I want another girl on my side. 
Is that everything? That is everything on twin telepathy. Wow, thank you. So there's no scientific evidence. There's no scientific. There's no scientific evidence, but there's so many stories that are like, how but can you like, deny? Like no scientists believe in it. I don't know if no scientists believe in it, but no scientists believe in it based on scientific evidence. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Like how there are some scientists who have religious beliefs. I was expecting you to be like, then there's this one guy that all the other scientists think are crazy. And he's like, (laughs) it's real. And spent his entire (laughs) life trying to prove it in like a tower somewhere. That sounds like the basis of a television show. Yeah, it's a good television show. We should write that decom. Well, now I'm trying to think of all the decoms about twins other than Twitches. 17 again. Although that wasn't about twins, but it was just starring Tia and Samara. There was that one, I feel like there's a bunch of ones that are about, like, that are, like, one actor or actress playing multiple roles because, like, something happens to them. Like the, Yeah. Well, Genius! The movie was called Genius. It was about this kid that, like, is a nerd, but he, like, gets into college and he, like, comes up, he's, like, 12, and he <laughs> turns himself into, like, a cool version of him. Like, it's a Stefan Urkel type situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be more double teamed, double teamed. The <laughs> twins who play basketball. <laughs> we forgot the most glaring twin example, which is the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Yeah, we took a break and we were like, we didn't even mention the iconic <laughs> seminal television show, The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I'm still not entirely convinced that they didn't air episodes of Sister Sister on the Disney Channel, though, because ABC owns the Disney Channel. We were arguing over whether or not Sister Sister was on ABC Family or the Disney Channel and I said it was on the Disney Channel but maybe they just aired maybe they just aired episodes because I don't think I I like never watched ABC Family as a kid did they show it on ABC Kids on like Saturday mornings because there was a lot of shows from like different networks that would be showed on that I just don't remember watching that. Like, I remember so vividly watching Disney Channel and Nickelodeon because those were the only two channels I knew the numbers for. Do you think Isabella and Lizzie McGuire were separated at birth or? (laughs) Do I think Isabella was 14? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. No, I don't think she was 14. How old do you think Paolo was? How much of a creeper was he? (laughs) I think he was like 19, which is really creepy. And she was in eighth grade. (laughs) So creepy. Lizzie McGuire became more problematic as we aged, which is really sad because still excellent movie. It's a great film. It's, it's great. coming back. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're gonna have to pay for Disney Plus. Like we're gonna, <laughs> we have no choice. We have no choice but to get Disney Plus. I'm sorry. Okay. Sarah, what's on Reddit? Uh, so on Reddit today, um, I found this on Explain to Me Like I'm Five. Um, I found the question, why are things more funny when very tired? Which I think is an interesting <laughs> question because I definitely fall victim to this. I cried laughing multiple times the other night at like two in the morning when we were watching videos about the, the Jeremy, Jeremy Renner app. <laughs> and I was like weeping which i don't think i would have if it had only been like nine o'clock okay so the there are two answers to this um for why things are funnier when you're tired the short answer is that your brain doesn't work properly when you're tired the common thread like most things that are unexpected are funny that's half the humor right yes because you you don't anticipate what people are going to say when you're tired your brain is worse at predicting what's going to happen (laughs) so even though something that someone does every single day they might be doing something they do every single day if it's 4 a.m it's unexpected right because you're just more stupid it's not that you're stupider you're just worse at predicting behavior so Mm -hmm. it was four o'clock in the morning we were sitting on the couch and i said to you i think i'm 
to go make my bed. Like, you would probably find that funny because it's four in the morning and it's unexpected and you'd yeah. be worse at predicting that that's what I'm going to do. Right? Right. Um, so that's that's one reason. The second is that emotional regulation is one of the first things to go when you get tired. The more tired you are, the worse you are at regulating your emotions. I, absolutely, I know this, like I've experienced this, that, that checks out. So when you're very low on energy, your brain isn't as good at higher level things. It's also kind of like trying to do like very complex math or science when you're hungry. Like it's just not gonna happen. So emotional regulation is a higher level brain function and it takes a lot of energy. All of your emotions are a little more intense when you're tired because your brain is like budgeting your remaining energy elsewhere. Like, so literally it's that you're not putting the energy that you're supposed to into your emotions when you're tired because your brain is putting more energy and just like physically keeping you standing up <laughs> and things like that. This is why also why people tend to get grouchy when they're tired or why kids throw tantrums when they're tired. So you're not as good as going, okay, that was funny and I had a good laugh over it, but now that's enough. Like you literally don't know how to stop yourself because your brain is putting energy into like keeping you awake as opposed to into regulating your emotions. Um, but also the Jeremy Renner app is hilarious. Oh no, the Jeremy, I like revisiting that video in the daylight, like go watch videos about the Jeremy Renner app. It's so, oh my gosh, so funny. So that's why things are funnier when it's late at night. Think That's so cool. It's not you, it's science. It's biology. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't get that's stupider. Science. You don't get stupider. Your brain just, <laughs> you, you just can't regulate your emotions. So well, I can't do that anyway, but no, <laughs> all humans can, I understand. So, are you ready to hear about Banksy? Yes, tell me who she is. <gasps> I'm sorry, there's no evidence that it's a woman. Damn it, but really is sorry. there any evidence that it's a man? Yes. Damn it. Actually, I don't have anything that's explicitly a man, but it's pretty agreed upon. Yes, there is evidence that he's a man. I take that back. Uh, no. I'm sorry. I would be amazing. If, I mean... It would be absolutely amazing if this woman was like, I've been Banksy, I fooled you all. It could happen. JT Leroy was real, okay? Um, <laughs> um, a lot of this info I got from a 2013 article from the Smithsonian and then filled it in with Wikipedia and some other sources, but a lot of this is from the Smithsonian. Great. So, um, Banksy is an anonymous street artist who is most famous for what he calls bombing the walls of cities with politically potent graffiti art since the 1990s. He calls it dropping bombs is when he, when he puts up a piece. Um, Banksy began as an artist at age 14. He was expelled from school and served time in prison for petty crime. All things- Wait, so we know an identity if he's no. been in prison. No, we just know that he's done, that all these things have happened to him. How do we know that? <laughs> from interviews. He's like, <gasps> okay, just like, <laughs> slow your roll, calm down, I will explain everything. Okay, okay, okay. All will be revealed, Jane. His work began in Bristol, England in the late 80s when he signed his work as Robin Banks, which then evolved into Banksy. Bristol is a major site of cultural graffiti art in the UK and the world. That's where the like entire underground street art movement really started. His choice to start in the Barton Hill district of Bristol was because his father was bad. He says it's because his father was badly beaten there as a kid. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to make that a site of his like political um, anti-violence art. In Bristol, Banksy teamed up with other artists Cato and Tess to become the Dry Breads Crew, or DBZ, from 1990 to 1994. During this time, he met photographer Steve uh, Lazaridis. Yeah, sure. Who began selling his work and then later <laughs> became his agent. 
Banksy said he was inspired by graffiti artist 3D, um, whose real name is Robert Del Naja. Robert Del Naja, also known as 3D, is a founding member of the British band Massive Attack. 3D is a colorblind graffiti artist and credited as the first graffiti artist in Bristol. He's a really big deal. Um, It was also in Bristol that Banksy developed his distinctive stenciling approach to graffiti. So everything he graffitis is first cut out of a stencil. And he says this is because once when he was 18, he was almost caught by the cops, him and his crew, and he had to hide under a garbage truck um, with engine oil leaking on him for an hour with his work only half done while the cops like searched the area for him. This made this experience made him realize that he had to cut his painting time in half. Mm-hmm. And because he was underneath a garbage truck, he was looking at the stenciled serial number on the truck, uh, on the oh. on the truck, and was like, "I'm gonna stencil everything." Um, and he said in an, an interview, "As soon as I cut my first stencil, I could feel the power there. I also like the political edge. All graffiti is low level descent, but stencils have an extra history. They've been used to start revolutions and stop wars." So he wow. started that when he was about eighteen. By the late 90s, he was getting noticed in Bristol for his work. His first known large mural was called The Mild Mild West, was painted in (laughs) 1997 to cover advertising of a former solicitor's office. Um, And it depicts a teddy bear throwing a Molotov cocktail at three riot police. That painting, that that piece is still up in Bristol. In the year 2000, he headed to London and began to retreat into anonymity for two reasons. One was to avoid the police because... Graffiti is illegal. Um, (laughs) And also that he knew that being anonymous would give him an invaluable buzz. You know, there would always be the question, um, which would kind of boost his fame. Um, And that's when his work began appearing across Great Britain. His first official exhibition in 2001 took place on Rivington Street in London when he and a group of street artists painted the walls of a tunnel white and put up their artwork in about 25 minutes. And then the next day held a public party with beer and music coming from like the radio of a van off to the side. Um, And about 500 people turned up. And he said like (laughs) it was like a major art exhibition that cost nothing to them. Like it was just held in public. And it was this sort of like purposely disturbing the piece that Banksy liked in his like exhibitions. So then in 2000, in July of 2003, his breakthrough exhibition Turf War opened in a warehouse in Hackney and this is when he like kind of gained the yep. most notoriety yeah, yeah. throughout England. Um, the location of the exhibition was not revealed until the day before. It featured paintings of animals, pigs in police uniforms, sheep wearing concentration camp uniforms, a cow with Andy Warhol's face, mm. and Queen Elizabeth II as a chimpanzee. Um, so it was Don't all- come for my girl. No, <laughs> so this is when he really started working. Like chimps and mm-hmm. rats appear a lot in his work, and that's really started here. Um, and that became sort of a signature for him for using animals as political for political statements in his art later that year and for the next year and a half banksy started bringing his own prankster art to art museums (laughs) around the world including the louvre tate modern and the met at the louvre he famously installed an image of the mona lisa with a smiley face sticker on her face oh wait i think i've seen that yeah um and it was like this big thing because people were like okay he's not messing around like he got yeah. into the louvre and installed a painting you know he also installed something at the met and the like artistic director of the met was like i don't think 
I don't think we're looking for someone walking in with scotch tape. It was like, yeah. it's like, like the person famously, like the art director famously said, because they like the met, they were all so embarrassed that someone was able to get in, install a painting and leave without anybody noticing. Yeah. Like he was like, he, and he did that specifically to like embarrass the art museums being like, this is your institution of art. Yeah. But like, show me what makes it, what makes it deserving to be put in here. Yeah. Like who, like the people that get to decide can't even catch me is like his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point he became an international star. In August 2005, he painted a series of images on Israel's West Bank concrete wall, um, which was a barrier built to stop suicide bombers. Mm -hmm. And some of the images included a girl clutching balloons as she floats over the wall, children daydreaming of a beach, and a boy with a ladder propped propped over the wall to show, like, Mm. this idea of of escapism and freedom and, like, peace. Um, And he does this a lot. He often will paint children as a way to show, like, Descent and also like highlight what the current state of the world is doing to the young people, mm-hmm. um, and how like it kills dreams and hope and stuff like that. Um, that's very a very common thread for him. At his following show, Crude Oils, he painted several vandalized versions of famous oil paintings, such as Monet's water lily pond with litter in the water. Have you ever seen Nighthawks? It's no. the painting of um, a bunch of people in a diner. It's like a dark painting. It's very long. I'll show you a picture of it. It sounds like the name of an action movie. It does. Nighthawks. <laughs> it does. That's night. That's the painting Nighthawks. Oh. This is a very famous painting. Um, and he painted a version of it with people. Um, I think they're throwing like a bomb through the glass or something mm-hmm. like that. So he did like very... Politically charged. Yeah, politically charged versions of very famous paintings specifically yeah. meant to upset people. This gallery also... Included 164 live rats skittering around on the floor during the show. Which, like, again, rats are, like, a huge... They're a very big symbol for him. In 2006, his show Barely Legal opened in L.A. This is his first show in L.A. Um, About L.A., Banksy said, Hollywood is a town where they honor their heroes by writing their names on the pavement to be walked on by fat people and peed on by dogs. And so he was like, I absolutely want to go there. (laughs) I'd love to be there. Brad Pitt attended the show and is a Banksy fan. I mean, so am I. Right. (laughs) Um, The centerpiece of this show was a live elephant, which was painted elaborately, and it was called, the piece was called The Elephant in the Room. (laughs) Flyers distributed at the event said, there's an elephant in the room and 20 million people live below the poverty line. That was like the point. Mm, Um, There were a bunch of animal rights protesters that showed up and were protesting the fact that the elephant was painted and appearing. They were like, he's an animal and I never show. The elephant was a like professional actor elephant. Like he appeared in movies and was used to being painted with makeup. And his handler and all these people were like, no, he's okay to be painted. Like they made sure they used safe paint. But because of the protest, the elephant appeared unpainted the last day of the exhibition because they would wash him and repaint him every day. Um, So he did, that did cause a ruckus in L.A. In February 2008, at a charity art auction organized by Bono, um, (laughs) this was a major art auction event that happened that raised money for the AIDS crisis in Africa. Banksy's Ruined Landscape, that's what the painting was called, sold for $385,000. And then another one of his pieces, a vandalized phone box, that's what it's called, but that's also what it is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, was sold for $605,000. And it was bought by Mark Getty, J. Paul Getty's grandson. In late August 2008, 
2008, marking the third anniversary of Hurricane Katrina um, and the associated levee failure disaster. Banksy produced a series of works in New Orleans, Louisiana, on buildings that had been destroyed by the Mm -hmm. hurricane. In May 2009, Banksy parted company with agent Steve Lazaridis and announced that um, a new company called Pest Control would be the only point of sale for his new work. So this company oh. was made specifically to manage Banksy, and their name Pest Control like refers to the fact that a lot of his work has to do with rats and animals yeah. and kind of like grungy stuff. Um, so that's I thought that was that's cool. In 2010, Banksy was shortlisted for an Oscar for his documentary Exit Through the Gift Shop, um, which is about the creation and making of street art. And it is a mockumentary, but mm-hmm. it was like put in the documentary category and is apparently a very interesting and beautiful documentary. In December 2009, I put this out of order, sorry, Banksy marked the end of the 2009 United Nations Climate Change Conference by painting four murals on global warming, and one included the phrase, I don't believe in global warming, in which the words were submerged in water. A lot of his pieces are very are a response to like global events that are going on specifically having to do with government in the united nations and specifically britain because he is british at this time when he did these four murals a feud broke out between banksy and graffiti artist king robo when banksy allegedly painted over one of robo's tags (gasps) um this has led of led to several of banksy's works being altered by other graffiti artists in retaliation it was around this time that critics of Banksy started to point out that he paints about world poverty and, you know, the wage gap and a lot of socioeconomic issues. And yet the prices of his pieces were astronomically high and continue to rise. Mm-hmm. Um, this issue caused a lot of tension in the early 2010s specifically. Banksy stopped appearing for interviews in 2013. He has not done an interview since everything he's all of his communication since then has been through email. Um, but he said in an email to the New Yorker on like 2013, I think, I give away, th- or 2012, I give away thousands of paintings for free. I don't think it's possible to make art about world poverty and trouser all the cash. Um, and then he also pointed out that he provides free high-res photos of his work on his website for mm. download. So anyone can access his work yeah. no matter where they are in the world. So essentially he's being like, Yes, I make things about poverty, but I also work really hard. And, like, if Mm -hmm. you do a job, you deserve to get paid for it is kind of his thing. Yeah. And he's like, I do as much as I can to make these available for everybody to see. I wonder if Banksy has a day job. Because he's anonymous. Like, he, like. Yeah, he he easily could. (laughs) Absolutely. What if, like, you worked with him? Like, he was, like, someone in your office was, like, I'm secretly Banksy. I'm Banksy. Yeah, and, like, the other thing about his pieces, this was, like, this scandal hasn't really come up recently. It was more, like, eight years ago. Yeah. But this was coming up a lot. But something else, too, is that I went on his website, and, like, he lists where he's having official shows to mm-hmm. go see his work and, like, how much they cost. And, like, I just saw an exhibition of his work. It was 10 euro, $12 oh. to see, like, 15 of his works. Like, mm-hmm. really cool. Like, it's still not... Even when you see them in a museum or in an exhibition, he tries not to make them expensive. For some reason, the Miami one is, like, $50, but I think it's, like, an extra experience. It's not just, like, you go in and oh, see. Yeah. But it lists where his works are all of the time. Like, he... I yeah. think he does do more than others to make sure that people can see his work. Mm-hmm. You know? He also said in this email to the New Yorker, I love the way capitalism finds a place even for its enemies. 
is what he said about his own yeah. ability to make money, which is super true. In July 2011, one of Banksy's early works, Gorilla in a Pink Mask, which had been a prominent landmark over on the exterior wall of a former social club in Eastville in England for over 10 years, was unwittingly painted over after the premises became a Muslim culture center. That was a big problem. That was like a big scandal that that painting was lost. Will Ellsworth, writer of this 2013 Smithsonian article that I've been gathering info from, also wrote that the appeal of Banksy also exists only in memory. This is a quote from him. When I recently wandered in London searching for 52 previously documented examples of Banksy street art, 40 works had disappeared altogether, whitewashed over, or destroyed. So part of it is that like everything is so fleeting. You know, you only get it for a minute. This one I thought was crazy. In July 2012, right before the Olympic Games, Banksy posted photographs of paintings with an Olympic theme on his website, but did not disclose their location. They never were discovered. They were never found where these murals like were. They're probably gone at this point. Um, but one of them showed, like, depicted a javelin thrower about to throw a missile, and the oh. other showed a pole vaulter like going over a barbed wire fence. Jeez. And you can see the pictures of them, and they're just on, like, a plain concrete wall. And people assume that they were in London because it was right before the London Olympics, yeah. but, like, they literally were never discovered. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? In 2015, Banksy opened Dismaland, which was a amusement oh, I've heard park of this. in West Supermare. Um, it featured work from several artists and was a commentary on the many disappointing temporary-themed attractions in the UK at the time. So it wasn't supposed to be a specific roast on Disneyland. It was just yeah. supposed to be about, like, there are all these theme parks in um, England that, like, are so half-assed, for lack yeah. of a better word, and yet they make so much money. And it was mm-hmm. kind of Banksy being, like, raise your expectations yeah. of what you want for entertainment. Um, and that was open for about two months. Banksy returned to New York in 2018 and did several pieces, including one on a former bank building on 14th Street that was turned down within a week, which, like, I could have walked past that. It was on West 14th Street, and that's yeah. where my school is. Like, in, it's not on West 14th Street, but it's in that area. Yeah. And, like, that's by NYU and all this stuff. I was like, I could have easily walked past that and had no idea. It was only up for a week, yeah. but still. And then in October 2018, this is, like... Absolutely insane. Banksy's Balloon Girl, which is one of his most famous paintings. It's the girl, like, who's letting the balloon. When it was first released, everyone thought, oh, this girl lost her balloon. And then after a couple of months, people realized that she was letting it go. Um, Mm. It's her. So it's the girl with the balloon. Was sold at an auction for 1.4 million pounds. Oh, I heard about this. But I didn't know about this. And this, like, blew my mind. After the gavel dropped an alarm sounded and the picture was partially shredded and Banksy posted a video on his Instagram with the caption going going gone now this sounds like it would be terrible because it was like it lost the painting but because Banksy said that the shredding was purposeful um the painting doubled in value because the of the added commentary of like you spend money on something that's so fleeting um and the painting was supposed to be totally shredded but wasn't for some reason well I watched the video of it happening um it was in a frame that they didn't know was a shredder and 
all of a sudden it just started going down and like security people like ran for it and like pulled it off the wall. Yeah. So that I, it must have been like disconnected from electricity or something. Yeah. yeah. But the intention, Banksy said the intention was for it to be shredded all of the way. And the work is now no longer called Balloon Girl. It's called Love is in the Bin. And it has been dubbed mm-hmm. as the first artwork in history to have been created live during auction because it is now treated as a completely different piece of artwork. Oh, wow. Like that's nuts. Absolutely insane. So, Banksy has a cult-like following. Um, The term (laughs) the Banksy effect refers to the increased public interest in street art. In 2014, he was was awarded Person of the Year at the Webby Awards. He has taken credit for at least 140 works um, and is estimated to be worth $50 million. So, who are the suspects? (gasps) Here we go. Oh my gosh! Some one of the articles called this person the prime suspect, and I would disagree. This is only like I think only CNN referred to him as the prime suspect, and everyone else thinks the second person I'm going to talk about is the prime suspect. Mm-hmm. But one of the suspects is 3D or Robert Del Naja, the graffiti artist I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. He also started in Bristol, and his designs for his band's album feature stencil art similar to Banksy's style. Del Naja has claimed to be friends with Banksy, and therefore two separate people. He's like, no, he's a personal friend of mine um, and has spoken like on behalf of Banksy before. Well, what a good alibi. I know. Del Naja has appeared in Banksy's Oscar nominated documentary. Um, Banksy wrote the foreword to Del Naja's book, which was not evident when it was released. And then later Del Naja was like, no, Banksy wrote that. That was like Mm. uncredited. DJ Goldie, who is just a DJ in England, once referred to Banksy as Robert in 2017. <gasps> she was like, Robert, sorry, I mean Banksy. Um, and then it was like, I'm sorry, it was a slip of the tongue, like completely unrelated. I don't know who Banksy is. But some people believe that it could be like a planted comment, mm. like meant to throw people off. Like it, there's been debate over whether or not that was like an actual slip. And like she did. She knows that, or I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if DJ Goldie's a male or female. That they know that. Yeah, Robert Delnasha is Banksy, or if it was like intentional to throw people off the track. Yeah, I think the most likely candidate, and many people agree, is Robin Gunningham, um, who is a Bristol artist. Criminologists at Queen Mary University of London used what's called geographic profiling to tag Banksy in 2016, Mm. which means that they try to figure out who Banksy is based off of who was in that location. Mm. Um, And then who appears in all the locations where Banksy works have popped up. Um, And they match locations of 140 Banksy works with several addresses in close association with Robin Gunningham. And they can prove that he was in cities at the time when Banksy works appeared. Steve Lacomer, who is the co-author of this Queen Mary University report, said, I'd be surprised if it's not him, even without our analysis, but it's interesting that the analysis offers additional support for it. Mm -hmm. Journalist Craig Williams has also suggested that Banksy is a collective of artists associated with Mm -hmm. um, Robert Delnach's band Massive Attack rather than one person, um, cross-referencing the sudden appearance of Banksy murals with the band's tour dates. It's possible that Banksy is the entire band because works have mm-hmm. appeared in places that they've performed and that was a post that went viral in 2016 uh, this like matching up of locations so that's who it probably is now, now you did ask me like okay well if if Banksy's anonymous then how do we know all of these things like he did appear yeah. in interviews they never showed his face 
Um, he would do a lot of print interviews. One article, we know it's a man because one article described him as like white, scruffy when he was like, when he was like 28, he did an interview. They described him as white, scruffy, like hard edges, something yeah. like that. Like people have seen him, but they don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're sworn to see Chrissy when they see, when they see his face. So someone out there knows. Who knows? We don't know. Knows. I didn't know a lot about Banksy, but as I said last week, I went to a Banksy exhibit when I was in Sicily. And like his work is, it's so powerful. There's this one painting uh, that's in the exhibition in Sicily that's um, a young girl who is naked, sobbing and holding the hands of Mickey Mouse and um, Ronald McDonald. And it's like this like gut-wrenching thing. And I, the caption was like, this is a girl who coming out of a bombing in I think it was a Middle Eastern country but I don't know for sure it was like Mm -hmm. it's so like gut-wrenching and like his work is so jarring it's like clever that I understand why people are obsessive about it yeah like I get it I would want to know too like who is he but like what he's doing is illegal like he's he's from the perspective of the law he's vandalized thousands of buildings right <laughs> he's broken a lot of law laws he's had to break into places yeah yeah so that's banksy cool i <laughs> this is dumb but i when we started i was like oh i should make a joke where i i, I call him spanksy at some point yeah why <laughs> it didn't happen i couldn't think of a time like, where's I'm my glad in? You didn't. Where's my in? <laughs> where's my I never in? Where's Find my in. James just been sitting there, concentrating. When can I say Spanksy? When can I say <laughs> I have to say Spanksy. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for listening. You Thank can, you. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com, where we post photos and other exciting stuff. And you can find links to all the places where you can get our podcast, which includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and more places. So please check that out. (laughs) If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash YKWIBW podcast. You will be rewarded for your contribution with a number of things depending on the level. It's very exciting. Mm -hmm. And again, even if you can't do that, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It's super, super helpful for us to get the word out there and, you know, spread, spread some love. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we will happily incorporate it into the show. And it would bring us great pleasure to know what you were wondering. It totally would. Sarah. Yes. You know what I've been wondering? What? Excellent work. <laughs> Love your work. I've been wondering about real life female detectives. Love this. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Like, like what like ones that we don't hear about. Okay. Ones that are underrated, have done amazing things. You put this mm-hmm. note in the in our yeah. shared note, and I don't know any yeah, no, that's like famous that's, female detectives. So it was like, oh, there are some out there. Please tell me about cool. them. Cool. Yeah. No, we want to spread the word. Sherlock Holmes, we're done with him. <laughs> it wasn't real. Um, no, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to tell you about that. I'm nice. Jane, 
You know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering? I debated doing this because I it's going to be past this when this when this episode comes out, but I still think it'll be I still think it'll be interesting and these happen every few months, so it's always I guess relevant. I want you to tell me about Friday the 13th. <laughs> about why it's a superstitious holiday, when that started, why it makes us nervous. I know it's not I know it's a movie besides just the movie. I've actually never seen the movie. I've never seen the movie either. This this Friday is Friday the 13th, and it's a full moon. So everyone protect yourselves. Protect yourselves. (laughs) Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe out there. Um, Yeah, so that's that's what I've been wondering. Great. I'm so excited. Cool. No, this will pair well. Female detectives in Friday the 13th. Spooky. It's spooky. fall, everybody. We are going to get a, a little bit spookier as we go. I, I think, literally can't wait. October. I have so many spooky ones lined up. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be I'm very absolutely excited. perfect. Um, okay. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.